Welcome to the 21st episode of Phone Talks. My name is Elisa Med. I'm the editor-in-chief of Phone Magazine, and today I have the great pleasure to introduce you to a brand new episode of Phone Talks. To celebrate the 15th birthday of Phone Magazine's talent issue, me and my fellow editors will invite back some of the amazing artists we work with in the past and chat with them about their practice and their current projects. For this episode, I had the chance to invite New York-based Mark Dorf. Hi, Mark. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me, Elisa. Happy to be here. Yeah. How, how are you doing? You're in New York right now, right? Yeah, I'm in New York. I'm good. The weather's getting a little warmer. People are kind of coming out and blossoming with the trees and flowers. So things are good. Things are good. Yeah, same thing in Amsterdam. It's ex- exceptionally sunny yeah. uh, over here. So people are really, really happy to be out again. And we're enjoying a bit more of an outdoor life and being out and about. Very good. Very good. Which feels great. Yeah, finally. huh? <laughs> I was so, so, so happy to have the chance to talk to you for this podcast because we started talking about the idea and I went through all talent issues uh, since I started working at Foam. It, it was it was quite a, you know, a travel through time. Lots of mudlands for me. <laughs> and then I realized that you are one of those that um, has been there for so long in the sense of we've worked a lot uh, together and um, since quite some time. I, I got to know your work in 2015, and it was through, I still remember, it was through um, In the In-Between from uh, Greg, from Gregory and the Jones. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's where I got to know your work, and then we worked together for On Earth, mm-hmm. which was a, a themed issue of the magazine that was 2016. Wow, it was that long ago. Yes, it was 2016. We did the portfolio with uh, Emergence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 I remember. And then, and yeah, and then it was the talent issue, mm-hmm. 2018, yeah. transposition, mm-hmm. and then finally 2020, elsewhere yeah. with Converse. Yeah, well, you've got the full spectrum here. It is kind of amazing. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't really put that all together until just this moment. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's it, it's quite something. Um, I was going through the on Earth issue of the magazine uh, the other day, and and it was such a good one. And there was the portfolio text written by by Kelly Doran. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you how do you remember that? How uh, it, the title of it the title of Kelly's text was the nature of capitalism, and she made a whole analysis of your work based on the data. And, and what sparked emergence, eh? your big long time theme of mm-hmm. nature yeah. and of interpretation of data. Yeah, I mean, that was great working with Carrie on that because she, um, and she does a really great job of extrapolating on sort of ideas within artworks and then sort of bringing it into the social or political context where the work itself might not be explicitly social or political. It might be a meditation on the abstraction of data, like emergence, but she's able to take it into this next sort of iteration, which is, in my opinion, is like the greatest power of art, especially art that deals with the level of abstraction where, you know, through abstraction, we're able to sort of project other ideas and draw out ideas from um, these abstractions that 
can be really powerful, you know, instead of being didactic and explicit, artwork allows a sense of openness uh, for interpretation and application to other parts of life, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was especially interesting, um, you know, thinking also at your practice. Um, your practice is very rich and very multi-layered. Uh, when, when we look at the medium, you use photography, you use video, you use digital media, sculpture, and you have this very strong methodology that comes from um, field research. Yeah? You, you, you take data mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then you create visual imagery out of it. But then um, your big theme is, is nature. Yeah. let me phrase it better what do we talk about when we talk about nature (laughs) yeah exactly exactly contentious word uh yeah what do we think nature should be versus our position in it and what's our experience of it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and there was this quote in Carrie's text that uh, for emerges and again we're talking about 2016 and and she said uh, data only yields meaning through interpretation Mm -hmm. and i feel that this is a bit delayed long time motif mm-hmm. of your research until yeah. nowadays. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's funny that she talks about data as sort of meaningless without interpretation. In that body of work emergence, as that's why I feel like a work of art was so perfect to kind of comment on or think about or meditate on like what data collection is with science, where like they're both abstractions, you know? The data itself is not the landscape from which it is, for lack of better term, mind. Um, you know, there's a, there's a difference here. It's only through the interpretation that we're able to extrapolate greater information. So too with art, you know? It's only through the interpretation of art and experience and embodiment of art, which embodiment is also a kind of uh, interpretation that we can find meaning in it and create social capital and cultural capital in that in that way you know yeah yeah but then it's also so evident for me in your work again um, already with emergence how um, yes it was a remediation eh, of data it was an mm-hmm. interpretation of data but then um, you had already quite clear in your path how the experience of such remediation and such recreation, so to say, um, informs anything really we can understand about whatever it is that we talk about when we talk about nature. Um, And that's also where I think your experimentations with sculpture um, and putting a body of work in location. Ah, I'm now thinking and jumping from emergence to um, transposition, for example, which was the body of work that um, was featured in the talent issue and then in all the exhibitions, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which was thought and imagined in a botanical garden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that shift in context was really, really important for that work. And it really sort of. Uh, was the first moment that really strengthened in a really significant way this sort of um, shift in understanding as to what, and I'm air quoting right now, nature is, um, you know? Uh, we're like working within a botanical garden, 
it might at first glance seem like a natural environment, uh, but it is in fact entirely fabricated and to like an almost ridiculous degree where there are species of plants next to one another that would never be found next to one another in a, in the wild. Um, and this is, uh, this goes back through history too, uh, where botanical gardens were for one, an incredible sign of luxury, but you know, plants were imported from all over the world throughout, you know, the last three centuries to these, um, to these gardens and sort of, uh, created this ultra fabricated space, which I used as a kind of basis to sort of figure out how our natural world, what we call our natural world is also fabricated, you know, where in, I think a lot about like the national park system here in the United States, where we might have a national park like Yosemite or the Grand Canyon or something like this that is isolated and sort of has barriers up to separate itself uh, from the rest of the world in an effort to conserve or preserve an environment. But in doing so, you have to sort of question like, to what point are you preserving? Like, what is the sort of neutral? What is the default? Um, and at that point, uh, things become very murky and gray where um, by intervening in that sort of act of preservation, you are in fact putting the human hand all over this environment. So then it too becomes a fabricated environment. Um, and then throughout the transposition, this all started to sort of collapse where I was like, okay, well, let's think about how all of these things fold in on themselves and include things like global capitalism and consumption and consumer products and images, digital images of landscapes and how that is a fabrication, like how we're just constantly sort of transposing uh, materials between all these supposed categories when in fact they're really just all part of the same system. Um, and that that reverberated forward through my practice till the you know today. Uh, these are still ideas that I'm playing with in various different forms. Yeah, and it was for me. You know, I'm also a big um, plant nerd. And, uh, <laughs> very good, very good. <laughs> and I have, but they have this this thing in me that comes from from you know my childhood. I've had. Uh, the, the enormous fortune of being born in a place that can somewhat be defined wild mm -hmm. um, with very few inhabitants and lots of um, untamed <laughs> uh, nature, which is still lived and still uh, affected, of course, but still a, a strong uh, relation with the um, whatever it is that doesn't seem touched by humans or to have a view that doesn't involve any anthropic sign that was that was my my childhood and i always think of that um, since i moved here in the netherlands where you have the absolute opposite there's not a single square meter of land in this in, the, in this country that has not been planned um, reclaimed or adapted or destined to a specific um, role and function within the ecosystemic life of humans. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So it was, it, it, it is quite, it, it is a big jump. 
but it also really very is really very interesting to look at landscape here in the Netherlands and think of that. Think of how that is absolutely, completely, totally artificial uh, or tamed. Yeah, the Netherlands are also very interesting in a like pretty specific way because of your culture of greenhouses and sort of commercial production within controlled environments in the Netherlands. I mean, it's unbelievable. I've always wanted to go out there and shoot a project in some of those um, agricultural facilities. Uh, Some of them are absolutely fascinating. Either you look at them from the inside or from from above when landing with planes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's mind blowing. They look incredible. Yeah, and it's it's truly a like an unbelievable feat that, for better or worse, is kind of how I see the future of our planet in a lot of ways. Where, you know, I just finished a film titled "A New Nature" that ex- sort of explores the future of what we call nature, um, and in the face of climate change and what we call the Anthropocene, right? And it's not um, a film that... It's not doom and gloom of Hollywood films, but it's also not, like, a Silicon Valley return to Mother Earth, like, whatever. It's this, like, gray, goopy kind of middle area where, like, things aren't what we necessarily want. Like, it is a kind of melancholy film where... It is mourning a future that perhaps never came of this like beautiful pastoral earth that will likely never get to and maybe never existed in the first place. If that's a different avenue, but uh, the Netherlands, like in this sort of culture of like highly controlled indoor agriculture, this is like the sort of like weird beginnings of something like that, where, you know, it is this fusion of the ecological world, the technological world, the social world, the political world. It's a collapse of all these things. It's incredibly interesting and fascinating. Um, Yeah. yeah. But I mean, yeah, you know, when you look at indeed the Dutch landscape, it has all of that embodied in it. But it also leaves you with that consideration of yet it exists, yet it goes on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's wildlife, right? There yeah. is there are cycles yeah. happening, uh, controlled cycles, mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Um, but cycles happening, and um, there is a sentence in in um, in a new nature, and it goes like, I, I did note it down. There is no longer any untouched landscape unaffected by human beings. Mm-hmm. And it seems, you know, might seem redundant when you listen it to it for the first time. But then if you think about it, that's so true. Yeah, absolutely. Like from that point of view, there is no difference between the artificial fabricated natural landscape in the Netherlands and what's happening in the Amazon forest right. or, you right. know, Antarctica. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's yeah. not untouched either. It's just touched in a different way. Absolutely. It's just yeah. uh, reworked in a different way. Yeah, I mean, our presence is undeniable. You know, you think about atomic bombs, uh, where every time one is dropped, there's you can pick up traces of atomic material or nuclear material all over the world. Um, glaciers act as this like kind of incredible archive of our planet of different like qualities of um, air quality or soil quality, all these kinds of things. You can find layers of um, nuclear material. And I'm not sure of the specifics on that within a glacial um 
range and you can kind of date it back. It's, it's really unbelievable. That alone is like this, it's this funny kind of, I love that example because it's like this very extreme example in that like it's a, a nuclear bomb, but it's also like touching the entire planet, but seemingly in the smallest ways, like on a, like on a glacier, you know, um, where like, it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal, but even the fact that it's there is like unbelievably significant that we have the power in a split second to affect the entire planet in that way, you know, it's it's unbelievable. But they must say, I mean, you said that a new nature, this gloomy, I, I haven't experienced it so gloomy i must say oh no i said it's not so gloomy oh yeah, yeah. okay yeah, because yeah, yeah. you know what i was thinking about when we worked um on elsewhere mm-hmm. with contours mm-hmm. at that point um your your path eh, in your research was also looking at this whatever that we call nature as other than human mm-hmm. as if is can we even fathom Mm-hmm. An existence mm-hmm. of of nature uh, that that goes outside um, the presence or the the, the the taking into account mm-hmm. of human beings. Do yeah. we even have the language for that? Yeah. That was I remember when we talked um, about that body of work. And when I was looking at a new nature, I did experience a not a relief, but a sort of. Uh, homecoming, coming to place, um, making peace with mm-hmm. the possibility, which, as you said, might not even ever happen, but the possibility of uh, an integration mm-hmm. of a holistic whatever mm-hmm. that's messy, because it is messy, it's complicated, it's it's not linear, it's chaotic, but just like life mm-hmm. is. Yeah. But that does encompass mm-hmm. um, yeah, this, uh, the big everything or all that we feel about it. Totally. Uh, this idea of homecoming that you bring up, I think, is like hits the nail on the head. Uh, where Contours was, you know, there's a sense of unease and unknown in Contours. And there's a kind of darkness to it where it's like, well, how do, how do I become speaking for myself, like, how do I become comfortable with not knowing, like understanding the fact that we cannot know what it, the natural world is like, we are limited by the language that we use as humans, whether it be bodily or language of design or literally spoken and written language, all these different kinds of things. Whereas a new nature is a kind of homecoming and a coming to terms with these things. And like, really settling with the fact that like, well, we've made this mark on the planet. Uh, we've moved far past any point of, uh, sort of returning to any kind of like holocenic balance or anything like that. Um, and so what do we do now? Well, we have to sort of accept the terms and conditions, you know, not to make a pun there, but, um, and how do we move forward from here? And that's that's why I say it's it does have a sense of melancholy in that I think about um, I think about Mark Fisher and his ideas regarding ontology and sort of mourning a future that never came. Uh, I mean, he thinks about it a lot in sort of this weird 
cycle of nostalgia and pop culture that we're stuck in, but like in thinking about it and climate change, it's also deeply ingrained or entangled with pop culture where we're fed ideas of like what the world was through the history of landscape painting, even uh, up through Hollywood and like sort of understanding a perfect balance in the world. But I don't think that ever existed. Um, uh, you know, we've always kind of been in conflict. the question, what is really our starting point? Yeah, I don't think, yeah, I think right? it's... Where, where, where are we coming from, really? Yeah, I don't, th- I kind of reject this sort of modernist idea of like a, a genesis or a beginning or a, a definite, like a hard definition. Everything is shifting all the time. Uh, and to like what we've reset to, like the zero, the default, it, it's... Uh, it's an, it's not real. I, I don't believe that there is a reset point, which is, again, kind of brings us to this melancholy realization in a new nature. It's like, well, what are we trying to restore to? We don't know. So why can't we need to just make our current world in the future the best we absolutely can and sort of understand where we are in a very realistic way? Yeah. I mean, this idea of the starting point, it also goes back with, um, another quote uh, from worse, you know, you cannot really break up with nature. Yeah. It's not a relation that you either say, oh, well, right, it's over. Right. Or um, I'm going to start over with someone else and it's going to be completely different. Yeah. It's always the same thing. Yeah. And I frankly feel that, but again, that's very personal as well, um, that reckoning that realization can be liberating, mm-hmm. can be healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there is these, these, these uh, deep and constant climate, climate anxiety, for example, that I'm absolutely um, victim of, <laughs> yeah. um, which is real indeed, because you see everything that's going on and you see how much things just kept, keep going worse. But then when you start thinking of what can be done next to 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 frustration, you also or I also feel very lost in not really feeling or understanding what is it that I should long for? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is it that is realistic to think of? Yeah. Um, four seasons. What is it that we're talking about? The forest that's gone. Yeah. yeah. Or or uh, the 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 type of insects that my kid might eat when running down with a bicycle through a hill. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's a, very practical. It's a that's a great question. It's like, what are you longing for? And I think that you know that's a big. Like that's kind of where the power of creative output and art can come in. Where you know, I think about science fiction in the '60s and like imagining futures, and like at, that was a time when, like, images were being made. Images meaning like anything from Hollywood, TV, books, whatever, songs, music, culture was culture was producing producing ideas about the future. Where now I feel like the ideas that, and I'm speaking from an American point of view, obviously. The ideas that are produced by culture are nostalgic fictions or 
doom and gloom. So how do we imagine a future that is more realistic? And like, that's the power of the artist. We like have this unique ability to be able to like inject culture with images and ideas to move forward um, and to sort of like achieve. I think about Holly Jean Buck. She has a great book called After Geoengineering where it kind of the structure of the book is really interesting and it oscillates back and forth between um, sort of hard theoretical analysis, like statistics and numbers and all these kinds of things, and then fiction. So that she sort of takes this hard analysis and then actualizes it and realizes it through fiction in the very next chapter. So the viewer, viewer, the reader, um, <laughs> sorry, I'm so used to talking about visual work. The reader is able to yeah, just sort of but, imagine but it, it makes things, sense because yeah. you visualize exactly, right? Exactly, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so I mean, that's kind of what, that's one of the main reasons that I keep doing what I'm doing, where it's like, you know, we have to have realistic images of the future. Um, we have to be able to imagine a future that is somewhat healthy. And if we're only fed images of doom and gloom or like, totally fictional nostalgia, then we're not in a good position to move forward culturally. Um, I mean, an artist has a much more limited reach than like a Hollywood film, but, um, you yeah. know, we all have our <laughs> circles of influence and, you know, I, I hope that. Yeah. Have, but then yeah. I think you also have, I mean, artists have, um, a great advantage that when, when it, when it works, it works in a way more effective and um, resonating to a deeper level mm -hmm. than than perhaps an Hollywood movie can do. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I mean, we were mentioning before how much you've always been very um, conscious and aware of this idea of the experience of the artwork. Mm -hmm. How are you supposed to experience mm -hmm. a body of work? And I guess that's or in my in my view, it's also been uh, the one of the reasons why you've you felt always very limited by the bidimensional um, nature eh, of pure photographs. Mm -hmm. It's been photographs, yes, thing or uh, let's say things, images that you can hang on a wall. Mm -hmm. But then it's always been about much more. Yeah. Um, and 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 a completely different set of experience. I've always wondered, you know, when whenever we were working on a portfolio. I always thought, God, how 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 is he feeling about this? Like, is the magazine going to be enough? And then I would freak out thinking about the paper and thinking, oh yes, you know we have to put all efforts in the paper yeah. at this point because what he does deserves a multisensorial approach. So. Well, I appreciate your sensitivity for sure. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's just, you know, you can't expect things to exist perfectly in every context, you know, uh, and each kind of version of reproduction or dissemination of an artwork performs differently within a larger system. You know, there's a difference between seeing the sculpture or the video installation or the sort of assemblage of image and images and objects than it is to look in a magazine or see something online. Um, 
And it's just something that I've had to accept <laughs> over time. Uh, where, like, sure, of course, my preference is for the viewer to go see these works in person and like really feel the aura of the work and uh, spend time and sort of move back and forth. But there's also benefits to publications and books and magazines where, um, you know, if a work is in a museum or an institution or a gallery, there's a sense of, there's a, there's a different like set of limitations where like, it's for one, not in your living room. Um, so you have to go to a place, you have to spend time at a place. You have to maybe go back if you're really drawn to the work, you know, but with a magazine, it's like, it's on your coffee table and you can kind of think about these things more or less whenever you'd like, or whenever you're drawn to. So I think that the, the, there are different functions to each sort of version of the work um and the athleticism of each kind of image is different each kind of image or experience is is different so yeah how do you feel more comfortable with because now you're working well you always work a lot also with video but i feel that now it's a bit more um consistent yeah it's much more formalized now i mean i made like like when i first left to undergraduate i uh I was like really inspired by net art and art on the internet. And so I was making a lot, like a lot of animated GIFs and things like that, which I still do, honestly, I, I love it. But yeah, in the last like four or five years that the video work has very much turned into like video with a capital V. It's, it's formalized and refined. Mm -hmm. I mean, not, not, don't want to ask if you're happy with it, but do you think it works for you? Is it a satisfactory yeah. um, step? Uh, I mean, I. I find it hugely exciting. Um, I'd wanted to work in a more serious way with video for a very long time. I mean, the works of art that most deeply affect me are works of video or extended cinema or video installation, these kinds of things. And that was, you know, I was interested in sort of trying to become part of that lineage and co contribute to that conversation. Um, for a lot of the reasons that we've talked about today and I bring up Hollywood where like, you know, to be in conversation with the history of cinema is to sort of, you know, there's such a rich vocabulary there that spans, you know, sort of the niches of the art world to, you know, black box theaters all around the world. Um, and to sort of work with that vocabulary, um, is exciting to me and to be in conversation with the vocabulary is hugely exciting to me. Um, also there's a sense of like enveloping that video can have that, uh, photography or prints of images, whatever you'd like to call it. Um, just can't get to, uh, which is fine. I'm, I'm not saying one's better than the other. Um, but there's something, there's a, there's a sense of power that I think is, just different in video. Also working collaboratively with musicians and sound engineers and all of these different kinds of, you know, it becomes a very active space of production, which is also, I think, possible in photography through collaboration. But um, video, I don't know. There's something, there's something that excites me about it these days that uh, it's just, it sets that fire, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, I think it, 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 it transpires. Yeah. Um, but what I also find fascinating is that um, 
you also create this very rich soundscape that indeed, as you said, it's a collection of sounds, it's music, but it's also words, which introduces another layer because mm -hmm. then you're also giving another type of information. Mm -hmm. and, and the specific voice of the person talking is something and the specific things that the person is saying, say something. So all of these really creates this, this super immersive experience. Um, when I watched um, A New Nature um, online the first time, was uh, via Vimeo when, when you sent me the link and then yeah. that's how I watched it on the computer uh -huh. at the office and I thought wow and then I watched it again when it was on this mm -hmm. um, platform mm -hmm. and that time I was at home mm -hmm. and I had connected the big screen and I had decent headphones mm -hmm. and it was in the evening yeah and I experienced it in a completely different way yeah I was not a you know I was not watching something that was sent to me also in a working environment, mm -hmm. but it was on a couch. Yeah, yeah. Relaxed and just really entering into it. Yeah. And I realized how much the quality of the sound and the, 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 the specificity huh, of the sounds and of the channels, how they change, adds to the experience mm -hmm. of it. Yeah. Um, and I found it very powerful. And I, you know, it's also very interesting. It made me think of a lot of music that I love. And I Good, wasn't great. listening for, for a while. <laughs> yeah. The day after I had the full blown off extreme day. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The, I mean, the sound in a new nature was. I just you know profess my love for video, but like really, the most exciting part about it was the sound. Uh, you know, I worked in collaboration with Corey Zimmerman, who's a musician, good friend of mine. We used to play in bands together a long time ago, uh, so we had a kind of interesting process in composing that music. He also did the music for Contours. Um, but what we end up doing is I, I would like send him essentially like a poem of two sentences, two lines or something like that. And um, be like, hey, but, you know, make us, what does this sound like to you? And he would do, you know, uh, sort of composition on a set of different synthesizers and stuff like that. He would send it back to me. I would chop it up and kind of rearrange it and compose it and send it back to him. And then he would re-record that afresh and then send it back to me so it's like this talking about remediation of things yeah 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 but then also the like environmental sound and the like sound effects and the like sort of menu systems all these kinds of things you know the the meeting point of image and sound was like really central to that work in creating a world like that's really where world building comes from to me is when you're able in video at least you know when you're able to balance all of these different things and bring them together in in harmony where one doesn't necessarily overpower the other but instead they're working in like succinct tight harmony um so yeah i mean the, the sound the sound was like essential uh in so many ways and also like the balancing of the voiceover where in a new nature i didn't want to be as didactic as i was in contours i wanted to sort of let things let the images live on their own but then like have yeah. it sort of spiced with these words also. yeah 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 steeped in poetics how do you feel with with the circulation of all of this i mean at the end of the day what we do is is in a system is inserted in a system you've got museums you've got galleries mm -hmm. Um, fairs. Um, we are in Biennale times. They just opened up the circus. Yeah, the circus. Um, 
Did you say the circus? <laughs> I have. I, yes, I did. I, I mean, it's. I have mixed feelings. Right, right. Uh, towards Good, this, yeah. this, this huge. Um, I, the Biennale in Venice was one of my very first encounters with immense art in my life. I oh, remember wow. my first time. I was 17. Right. And right. I, I saw William Kentridge. Oh, and I had no idea who William Kentridge was or whatever all of that was. And it was absolutely mind-blowing. So, you know, lots of love, but also in in, in a bit more of a uh, knowledgeable and adult uh, side of myself, very conscious of all the circles that all of that brings on. Yeah. Um, but these are the places in which we experience huh? mm -hmm. these works. And recently you've been venturing out with um, NFTs as well. Mm -hmm. And I was just wondering, how, how does it work for you? How do you feel? Yeah, I mean, in the context of video, um, similarly to how I was talking about, you know, images published in books versus, you know, works experienced in, in the flesh, it's all just different. Like in a perfect world, uh, a new nature would be installed at a museum or gallery, which is how it initially debuted at the Museum for Gestaltung in Zurich last October, uh, which was a totally different experience than seeing it on DIS's website. But the difference is that, like, it's kind of like what I said before, where, like, when it's streamed on the web for a limited amount of time, you can sort of pick it up and put it down whenever you want. If it's at a museum, then you have to be committed to going in, doing this thing, sitting with it. You have to be in the right mindset, which is not always the case with the video. Um, I mean, I'll just speak for myself, but you know, there are days that I'll go out into New York City and be like, today's a video art day. I'm just gonna go look at all these wonderful, strange creations. But a lot of times I don't have the patience for it. Um, but yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, it would be installed, but it's also important to disseminate this work because I think it's a, it's an important conversation to have, you know, it's important to show these images and these sounds and sort of hopefully create these, uh, conversations and sparks between people. Um, so, I mean, it's a, it's a balancing act, you know, I think it's just different, um, you know, each context and version of it. NFTs, uh, it's interesting. So the I like how you're taking big breath. Like yeah, right. Okay. Here we go. All right. Let's talk about that. NFTs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's it's uh, it's totally different. So trying to think about how to do this, just say this in like a. It's such a long conversation. It's so intricate. Um, in context of the works from a new nature that exist as NFTs. I was really trying to think about how cinema and film can exist on the blockchain when um, you're sort of presented with all these different circumstances where like if you're in a gallery and you have a series of photographs on the wall, you kind of, there's a direct, there's a linearity to it. You move from one image to the next. You can go back and forth if you want to, but for the most part, people will follow the trajectory. Or if you're, if you're looking at a photo book, you know, you'll probably go through initially, uh, in order. You don't really have series, uh, in the context of NFTs, you have more collections, not just because the market dictates that dictates that as a word that is popularized now, but because of the nature of the internet, where you don't have 
a beginning point or an end point. So when thinking about that, it's like, how do I create a set of videos that come from a new nature, but are different from a new nature, but can exist in any order I need them to, so that the viewer still takes away some of the ideas that are going on here. And that's kind of how I was thinking about it, where, like, how do I create a landscape of, um, no pun intended, a landscape of sort of feeling, <laughs> feeling an idea without the linearity of a film itself or a video itself. Um, and I think a lot about, strangely, David Lynch, where, like, you know, a lot of people will say his films don't make sense and they're not wrong. Uh, but what they do very well is that they create a psychological landscape for the viewer to inhabit and to sort of like, it's like a weird blanket that David Lynch wraps you up in. So I was trying to think about the same thing. So I was recreating clips from A New Nature. They're different from the film. Uh, in some ways, they add things, they remove other things. But I'm trying to like really create a psychological landscape with these sort of clips online, which brings up like NFTs aside, blockchain aside. How does how can film exist on the web um, to create a similar aura to that of which the installation expresses? You know. Um, and I think the short answer is that it can't. Like, these things are not equivalent. But then how do you make the internet a unique space? I guess that's more what I'm trying to say. And so that's kind of what I was trying yeah. to do there. Yeah. Do you also buy NFTs? Uh, uh, I do have like, a... For, uh, the reason why I'm asking is because I'm interested in how that is actually experienced. Yeah, 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 sure. I have bought some NFTs on the Tezos blockchain, um, which is a different blockchain than the more widely known Ethereum. And I mean, yeah, but I, one of the most interesting things about NFTs is this, it's like totally called into question what ownership means, um, where, you know, you might own the, and I'm air quoting, NFT, the smart contract, right? Uh, but the work itself remains publicly available in full resolution uh, hosted on IPFS. So you can anyone can go and look at this stuff. So ownership suddenly doesn't mean that like you have exclusivity to this thing. It's like a sort of shared ownership in a strange way. So, I mean, with that, I think that there are powerful potential implications in the art world and the art market where... Um, suddenly buying an NFT or work of digital art, um, you it's almost more like a sign of patronage, where it's like an understanding that the work remains public, uh, but you also understand the labor that the artist put into this, um, and you value that, and you feel like you want to contribute to that in a financial way. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of how I approach it. So like the NFTs that I've collected are either from friends of mine or artists that I really respect. And I mean, like any good collection, that's how it should start in my humble opinion. But, um, so that's kind of how I approach Something that Something like a museum ticket with benefits. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, on the other side of that, there are some really incredible projects that embrace the blockchain as a material itself. Um, I think of Jonas Lund um, and the like, and Rhea Myers. Um, 
that's far, far and beyond my knowledge. Just I'm not a developer or a coder, but that that work is really fascinating to me. But it's few and far between. You know, there are very few people that are actually doing that. Do you think that that is also something that can be in your future? Like, do you see yourself playing even more with with blockchain and um, all that happens? Yeah, I think um, so. I think so. Um, I mean, it's it's kind of like a dirty world word in the art world right now in a lot of ways, where like everybody is <laughs> so polarized. Or it's like it's either yes, blockchain, or no, I don't understand this at all. Yeah, and but why this would is I the ever... time we're living in. Yeah, exactly. Is there a, a thing that's <laughs> not? Uh, I mean, yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. But no, I, I think it's fascinating. Uh, if for no other reason, the sort of social and social implications of it and the materiality of it, absolutely. Um, I do have a few projects that I've been talking to some developers about to like try to embrace the materiality more specifically, if I can work with people to sort of help me get to that point. Um, I think it's really fascinating. Yeah. No, I mean, I am, I have to say, I don't, um, I don't understand myself, <laughs> um, all the technicalities of it. It's really a, a, a knowledge that I miss. Mm -hmm. I am very interested though in the, in that space that opens about patronage, about also discussing what are the commodity dynamics around the art world and yeah. around this bubble that we all feel very pure about. But at the end of the day, um, it's still about buying things. Mm -hmm. So what does exactly change when you're not buying an object and you're buying something online, yet it's still available, but indeed you're supporting an artist and you're not just creating a primary market yeah. Yeah. for a different system. So I think that that's a very, very interesting conversation and, and, and I'm super interested in it. Um, I also think that we're just seeing the beginning of it. Yeah. Um, I, I can't see what's going to happen with the whole metaverse conversation, for example. There's exhibitions happening in metaverse and all of that. And is that something that can be comparable as an experience in the future? Or are these two completely different domains? Um, there are these kind that of, will be dealt with differently. Yeah, the there's like this weird the whole metaverse conversation is very strange to me. Where like a lot of what we see going on in the in these sort of three D virtual exhibition spaces and stuff like that, I find very frustrating at times because they're recreating a sort of IRL experience in a virtual space when and I, this is just my opinion, but like if you're working in a virtual mm -hmm. space, why are you trying to recreate something <laughs> to create that we've already got, real. you know, like why are we not thinking about the materiality of digital space and sort of like trying to expand upon our lived experience? Yeah. But that's what I'm, I'm thinking. I wonder if um, there's going to be a space for experimentation in there or if it's just going to be the next, I don't know. I, it's really hard to say. It's, uh, I hope so. And I think there will be. I don't think it's going to replace anything. It will augment the world that we live in. But also realistically, like most of the world of NFTs, it's not art. It's not 
artists. It's not the art world. It's a lot of like PFP projects and all these kinds of things that are more like businesses and startups than they are individual artists making stuff. The optics of the whole space, it's all smoke and mirrors in a lot of ways, Um, which is really hard to navigate. Um, both as an artist and a collector. I also get bored of saying after. Yeah, no, I mean it's also yeah, it's not for everybody. Uh, Like I'm really interested in it because I'm like really invested in online cultures, and I feel like that's you know part of my roots, and I'm interested in how like the net art communities are interfacing with this like wave of new people entering in. It's like it's really. I have the patience for it just because I have so many friends that are part of it and like trying to, we're all trying to like sort of dig through all of this, but I can totally understand why most people are just kind of like, ah, I don't know if this is for me. For for me, it's, (laughs) it's my, my intellectual thirst is very interested in it and and I love understanding more. And, and again, I, I'm, you know, I think those conversations are super important um, but then, when it comes to the experience of art, I am, you know, might be a dinosaur in that sense, but for me, one of the reasons why I'm so obsessed with images and, and is because they ground me down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The very powerful effect of just blocking out things and bring me back to Earth, which might be counterintuitive, but physically, that, that's the effect they have on me. Mm-hmm. And when I happen to experience artworks in that space, Mm -hmm. unless it's in a museum setting or on a video in my couch, if it's, you know, the whole metaverse thing, I get lost. I don't, I don't, um, I appreciate it intellectually, Mm -hmm. but I don't feel it. Yeah. And so I've been trying to, you know, do a little exposure therapy. And expose myself a little bit more to see, okay, is it just me that I have to activate those receptors? Right. Or um or not. And and so far I still still on an intellectual appreciation uh, I think level. that uh <laughs> there are things that work and there are things that don't. The like three D virtual gallery space doesn't work for me. I don't get no, I get very no, little please. from that. Um, but Let like, set us free from that agony. <laughs> I am trying my best. Um, but like, also, but on the other side of that, like, animated gifts um, are super exciting to me. Where like, yeah, there is an intimacy to an animated right. gift that I think that is possible. Where you know, yeah. something that we continually talk about in this conversation today is like the different spaces in which images and art, works of art can exist and how they sort of effect differently where like an animated gif on a screen I think makes more sense than an animated gif on a screen in a museum or gallery like it's a Mm. born digital file format that was made for the internet and when you see it on a device a phone a tablet or a computer you're usually like you're in your own little digital world you know and it, it there is something 
exciting to me about that. Yeah, that's uh, the immediacy of it. Yeah, so that works. Yeah, it hits. Yeah, it hits. Quickly. It's a heartbeat almost, you know, these looped animations, depending on the work, of course. But um, yeah. that, I feel like, is a really successful file format for works of art, digital works of art. Um, whereas, like, still JPEGs doesn't really cut it for me, unless mm -hmm. there's, like, some sort of conceptual twist or this or that. Um, and, like, the like I said, the 3D virtual spaces, for the most part, don't excite me. I have some friends that have, well, this is the other thing, where like I feel like five years ago, digital artists were doing way more progressive things um, in presenting works in digital space, where I, I see what you mean. think about yeah. like Alfredo Salzarcaro, great artist yeah. uh, with the Digital Museum of Digital Art, which is this like big VR experience where like Jacoby Satterwhite has done work and Morshin Alaya Hari and like, all these wonderful places, and it's totally rejecting the like architectural white cube of a gallery. Yeah. Whereas now it's like it seems I so unimaginable. Traumatized by the whole COVID-induced three um, D <laughs> exhibition tours. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you're wrong. I don't think you're wrong. It's a bit like we need to get over that trauma, yeah. and and possibly people working on it also thought, oh God. Yeah. yeah, is this what we're down to? Yeah. Um, which was a necessity. I mean, you know, um, totally. I, yeah. I see where it comes from, but indeed that um, that idea of embracing the digital space as a space with the potential per se, and not as a recreation mm -hmm. or mimicking mm -hmm. or surrogate of yeah. of what happens outside that feels has a bit slowed down compared to a few years ago. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, the COVID virtual space thing though, I feel like is hard to compare this to where like that was such a utility, right? Where that was like a market responding to a global crisis yeah. as opposed to like huge bandwagon an imagine like a, an emerging market of weird new materiality, not really new, but somewhat newly embraced materiality. Mm -hmm. It's like, come on, we can we can be more imaginative than this now. <laughs> We can do better. We could do better. We could do better. <laughs> yeah. All right. So are you working on anything specific right now or are you focusing on, on a new nature to focusing to on a new nature? Uh, I'm also at the very beginning of a new work of video that is mm. I won't speak too much about it, but essentially it is a <laughs> film that happens all at once. Um, okay. So it's kind of impossible to watch in a linear nature, but there are lots of <laughs> entangled narratives. Then the longer that you spend with this work, it's kind of like what I was talking about with David Lynch's work, where it, mm -hmm. it paints the psychological like the landscape of sort of where we are and where we're going uh, politically and environmentally and technologically and all these kinds of things through a wide range of different kinds of uh, video, whether it's just like pure abstraction and like feeling and expression through that and 3D animation or like a finely crafted recreation of a newscaster, you know, uh, wow. or someone's like iPhone that like just got married and they're like doing some selfies and like doing all this, you know, um, so it's like, it's a, it'll be interesting. But it's like I'm very nascent. curious already, yeah, and, very... and we, we need to have a separate private conversation. <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I've been dreaming of, of, you know, being able to create a sort of an augmented 
embodiment of a magazine that can create a space for this kind of um, different bodies of work or bodies of work that give me so much pain when I have to reduce on paper and I still love doing it, but I also know that (laughs) that's not how it's meant to be. (laughs) Right, 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 right. Yeah, totally, totally. There's got to be a solution for you. There's got to be a solution. There will be. There will be. I'm working on it. But I have to say that so far I'm, I'm... so super grateful for all of these years of uh, working together and you know we've been able to go from the magazine to exhibition spaces which was already a big achievement yes yes yeah it's been wonderful over that i can't believe that it's been so long (laughs) we've done i told you i also was shocked it was 2016 and Uh, my first kid was very young. Yeah. And now there's another one. Yeah, he there you go. To primary school. I'm like, I've been knowing Mark for so long. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's... I measure time in kids. Yeah. Not yeah. Kids. <laughs> measure. Yeah. Measure time in children. Yeah. It's good. It's good. It's been a total pleasure, and you know, I appreciate the support, and I love seeing you all grow and seeing things change over there. So. Yeah, likewise. And, and, and frankly, I very much look forward for all that's coming in the future as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Me too. Let's... <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Thank you for listening to this episode of Phone Talks. Please check our social media channels for the upcoming releases. The current issue of Phone Magazine is available at some of the best bookshops around the globe and, of course, online in our workshop. Thank you so much for supporting us. Until next time, viva.